from uh, Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 20 to 21. And this is, uh, I think, the summation of our study, and I'm going to kind of try to summarize where we've been in the book of Hebrews. Now the word, or now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The point of Hebrews, I think, is found in, in this verse. I think the point of Christianity is found in this verse. Uh, God who operates, the God of peace, who operates not through coercion, not through violence, but through peace. Uh, he's a God of peace. He is leading his people into this peace through the shepherd. The shepherd of the sheep is leading them toward God. And of course the imagery of the shepherd is first there with Moses who uh, shepherded his people symbolically through death at the Red Sea. And we know that from Hebrews, he's talked about this as a kind of shadow. There was no eternal covenant, but Moses was pointing toward Christ, who the true shepherd. So now we've entered into an eternal, ongoing relationship with God. And this is the vocation which we were made for, working in us to equip us to do his will. The very image bearing we are to do is restored in Christ, in that we are being equipped in every good work to do his will, to reflect his glory, in the same way that Christ reflects the glory of God. This is our eternal vocation, along with Christ. This is a very simple, straightforward reading of this verse. Yet this simple reading is obscured by the typical reading given to Hebrews and Christianity. Hebrews stands over and against this typical understanding, I think, of Christianity. In Hebrews, the work of Jesus the Messiah is found not only in the crucifixion, it's certainly there in his death, but it's also in his resurrection. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He mediates for us at the right hand as a priest ascended. He continually offers intercession to the Father on behalf of his people. The writer of Hebrews has pictured the temple as a microcosm uh, that is in some way displaced by Christ, who is the true temple. Christ is the true sacrifice. He's the true high priest. In his temple, uh, in the, it's not only the human vocation of image bearing that is restored, but creation itself <clears throat> is being made a fit dwelling for God. And a place in which humans and God can commune together. So the great shepherd of the sheep has ended our exile in death and in the 
Same way that Moses brought Israel from out of exile in Egypt, Christ has rescued us from alienation and exile. <coughs> Death is defeated. Exile, and you know, he's talked about the slavery to the fear of death is conquered. We are led out of slavery like Moses led foreshadowing, you know, leading the, the Jews out of Egypt, but this is a, a real freedom. This is my understanding of Christianity. Okay? Uh, and as we come to the end of the book of Hebrews, let me sum up two visions of Christianity, maybe two versions of Christianity which are presented to us. <clears throat> and one would stand in contrast to what I just said. Here's the, this is the other Christianity that I think we often hear, but I hope through our study of the book of Hebrews, we can understand is wrong. But let me, let me describe this Christianity. All humans sin, causing God to be angry, and he wants to kill them and burn them in hell forever. Jesus somehow got in the way and took the punishment and stood. It helped that he was innocent and that he was God's son too. Now we're in the clear, heading for heaven and saved from hell, provided, of course, we believe that. Sin, in this wrong understanding, I think is primarily to do with keeping a moral code, the moral code of the law. God told, you know, humans to keep this code and their continuing life in the garden depended on, you know, to, to this obedience. And failure then incurs the punishment of death. And this is repeated in the case of Moses. Israel has simply sharpened up the moral code. But the result was the same. Humans were therefore heading for hell rather than heaven. And finally, Jesus obeyed this moral law perfectly and in his death paid the penalty on behalf of the human race. And the overarching arrangement is one of a works contract between God and humans. It remains the same in this understanding. Jesus just did what was required. And so those who avail themselves of his achievement by believing in him and benefiting then, you know, from his moral accomplishment, get to go to heaven. And there they enjoy eternal fellowship with God. And those who don't believe that, they don't go to heaven. The works contract, though, remains intact. And sin in this understanding does not really have anything to do with the reality of evil, political, social, natural you know, as we encountered in the world, sin is mostly a private moral failing. The, words evil, uh, the world's evil is left to run its course as part of God's plan, as if God did it, and is not really pertinent to souls going to heaven when they die. Now let me give you, I'm, I'm giving you the wrong reading, so don't fall asleep and wake up and, and leave here with the devil's message instead of the, the true message. But let me read uh, Hebrews 13.20. If I were to read it in light of this understanding, how would it sound? Now the God who would like to be peaceful and nonviolent cannot be. Because he's really angry 
and plans to torture practically everyone forever. This God hated the world's sin so much that he killed the shepherd of the sheep and spilled his blood so that he would not utterly destroy the sheep. He did bring him back to life, but this is a footnote to the main event. His death, which satisfied the law and appeased God's anger. If you do good deeds, this is good, but it's secondary to the main action, which is assuaging the anger of God. The dead Jesus is pleasing in his sight because this enabled him to solve his anger problem. Now, I could go on with this kind of ungospel message and, you know, that we would separate out the Old Testament completely from the New. We would say that redemption has nothing to do uh, with this, the, the Old Testament Israel. It's just about going to heaven. Um, but I think what we have in Hebrews and what we've seen is a fulfillment of the Old Testament and over and against this kind of disembodied Christianity. Jesus is true Israel. The temple, he's the true temple. He's the true, you know, fulfillment of Moses. He's the one who really redeems us from slavery. He's a model for us, not just one that we believe in, but whose faithfulness we imitate. He's the shepherd, in other words, who we are to follow. And as 1321 indicates, he's equipped you in every good thing to do his will. We're supposed to do things. And in this focus on resurrection, it is death and the exile of death that his death and resurrection have conquered. So it's not that he's done, you know, his main work is to get God to quit being angry with us. His main work is to deliver us from sin and death. And the goal is not a disembodied heaven, but a renewed human vocation within God's creation that certainly will culminate in heaven and earth being brought together. So we've seen this in the idea that the temple is a microcosmos. It was a picture of the goal of creation to create a meeting place, a resting place, you know, the Sabbath place. The tabernacle then is the climax, the seventh day, you know, was the, the picture that we pictured the, the account of creation and the account of the building of the tabernacle. They both climax in Sabbath. Sabbath is the point at which God and man, you know, come together. And so their end point is the same. Yahweh and humankind rest together in the garden, in the temple. We can begin to see how creation's purpose is fulfilled then in the temple prepared by God. But of course, the true temple is Christ who will bring uh, man and humankind or humankind and God together. So the writer tells us to enter into this rest and not to be left for dead in exile with those who do not enter in. I think we talked about Exodus 25, 31. There are seven speeches, seven words to Moses. And the seventh speech is keeping the Sabbath. The first six speeches give instructions on how to set up the tabernacle, thinking here of a microcosmos. And these speeches parallel the days of creation. So, 
The command to construct the lampstand is the first speech, which corresponds to the separation of light or darkness or let there be light. The third speech is the fabrication of the, the laver of bronze, which is called the sea, which parallels God's separation of the dry land and the sea. The sixth speech would be associated with the creation of human beings. And in Exodus, it's focused on the craftsman, Bezalel, who is filled with the spirit so as to carry out the work of building the tabernacle. The work of creation is not complete until the tabernacle is erected and God's glory dwells with his people. And so the tabernacle is not the final piece of the puzzle that must be added before creation is whole. Rather, it is the very same creation in miniature. A microcosmos, one with, with one distinction. At Sinai, God invites humans to partake in establishing order. We talked this morning about the rule of Christ. That in our lives we extend the rule of Christ. We kill off the autumn olive trees. We trap the rats. In some way, we, so too we involve spiritually that we're extending the rule. The idea of ordering is present, of course, even with Adam. He names the animals and it's reflected certainly in the participation of humans in building the temple, the microcosmos. But all of this is fulfilled in Christ who is bringing order, who brings order to the cosmos. But the work of Christ is to set humankind into their work of ordering. He has, you know, the, the, the idea is that we are prepared then for doing these things, doing these works. Who brought up the, from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep even Jesus our Lord, so as to equip you in every good thing to do his will. We are participants in this ordering of Christ. If you think of the rhythm of Exodus, you know, it's command, execution, mirrored in, it's there in Genesis. God said, let there be an expanse. God made the expanse. But now the execution in Exodus, and I believe in Hebrews and in the New Testament age, is carried out by free human beings invited to respond to God's word. First of all, Christ, the, the truly human one. <clears throat> and then, you know, with the help of the Spirit, the, the people, the priests, are going to help in building the sanctuary where God will deal, will dwell. And so they re, recapitulate the divine work of establishing order. Hebrews begins and ends with a word from God. And this word is different than, he says, you know, in times get past, God has spoke through his prophets. And in many times and in various ways, there's a multiplicity of words. And it's even different than the name that indwelt the temple. In the temple, it was the mirror of heaven. But 13 chapters have been spent explaining this word. It's not a multiplicity of words. It's Christ the word. And he says, I've been bringing you this word of exhortation. In order to make a fit habitation, a fit te temple, creation is cleansed of its sin. It's cleansed of death. 
Humans are the conduit of sin and death, right? And Christ is the one whose representative has overcome that. As high priest, he mediates. As shepherd, he leads. As temple, his body is the meeting place. His flesh is the veil providing access to the Holy of Holies. And this heavenly access is not disembodied and unearthly. Rather, it's bringing heaven and earth together. And so the psalmist says, he built his, Yahweh built his sanctuary like the heavens, like the earth that he established forever. We are that true sanctuary. The shrine, symbolic of the visible heavens, the menorah, as a symbol of the seven planets, the twelve loaves of bread were representative of the twelve months of the year, the signs of the zodiac. Uh, the special emphasis was given to the veil, which was four colored materials are woven together. They think it may have represented the four elements which make up the universe. But now the veil is the body of Christ. The purpose of the universe as access to God is made complete in the body of Christ. The Holy of Holies is at once earthly and heavenly. Uh, the copper basin and the outer York courtyard, the sea, the altar burnt offerings, uh, earth and sea are the only way into the Holy of Holies. Uh, the Holy of Holies, it's that windowless little innermost chamber. You know, in Solomon's temple, it's contained the Ark of the Covenant <coughs> with the mercy seat, the two large cherubim. They say the wings of the cherubim filled the room. And on the walls of the shrine in the Holy of Holies, <coughs> there were release of palm trees, of flowers, of cherubim, of uh, chronicles, mentions precious stones, <coughs> and chains decorated with pomegranates, golden chains. Actually, everything is overlaid with gold. And it's called the Shabbat space, the the resting place, the very throne room of the glorious God of Israel. And the imagery of the room calls to mind a kind of peaceful, fertile garden connected repeatedly in Hebrews to Eden, right? We're, you know, the temple is the truth of creation in miniature and at its innermost heart, hidden but nevertheless present, it is a paradise in which God and man meet. It says he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom in Isaiah. And he will gently lead the mother sheep. I am Yahweh. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the, the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. Isaiah 42. Following Christ means we can all experience exodus from slavery, from blindness, from imprisonment, from sin and death. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price, incline your ear, and come to me. Listen so that you may live. 
I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. He's talking about Israel, but Christ is true Israel. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth, break forth, O mountains, into singing. For Yahweh has comforted his people, and he will have compassion on his suffering ones. But Zion said, Yahweh has forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Isaiah 51.3 Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places in her wilderness. He will make like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. There will be no August olive tree. There will be no kudzu. There won't be an abundance of rats. But thanksgiving will be found in melody. Exile will be ended. And this is pictured in Ezekiel as the resurrection of Israel. But this resurrection takes place in Christ. Resurrection is the result of death's defeat. Forgiveness, the result of sin's defeat. And those who learn to forgive, we discover then resurrection life. We discover healing. So it's not simply that Jesus died so that we can miss hell and go to heaven. Jesus brought about the redemption. He's bringing about the redemption of the cosmos. The great shepherd of the sheep rescued from the sin, uh, sin and death. And the whole world has been rescued is being rescued, will be rescued. It's a process, right? From slavery. There is a new reality being restored that has been restored. Uh, it isn't that somehow you, you know, gain forgiveness as a kind of private transaction unrelated to the wider world. It's rather that forgiveness, we're living in this new reality now and putting it into practice. It is the way new creation actually is. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead, now he brought him up. The great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, one who's given his life in fullness of love. Even Jesus our Lord equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever.